Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to recap on some of the main points that I've made over the last couple of weeks because there is a theme at play here that I want to follow on from. We've been talking about the law within. In other words, God's law in our hearts. And what this really has to do with is the subject of lordship. Uh, yes, Jesus is our savior. Yes, he is the king of kings. But he is our Lord. And some of the statements I've made are Christianity that does not reflect the lordship of Christ is deeply deceptive. And we actually find this brand of Christianity rife within the church today. That it's almost as though Jesus exists to meet my needs. God exists to give me, to provide for me, to care for me, to heal me. And it's almost as though I, God exists for my benefit instead of the other way around. A God who is not Lord in my life, in other words, who doesn't call the shots, is not a God. He's a genie. He's a, a personal assistant helping me get what I want and need. Now, in the Old Covenant, the way God exercised lordship over his people was externally. He gave them the law. He said, this is how I want you to live your lives. This is how if you do this, you will be different from the other nations of the world. And, and you know, so he gave them the Ten Commandments. We looked at that, how, how God literally wrote, gave the tablets to Moses written by his own hand. But as new covenant people of God, Jeremiah 31, 33 says, the day is coming when I will put my law into their hearts and I will write it onto their hearts, not on tablets of stone as an external thing that is put upon them, but his law of love will be inculcated into us. We will be given his nature. His law will, will be placed in our hearts and change who we are so that we are not motivated by external circumstances or by a set of rules, but our very heart, the nature and the person and the presence of God will guide us from within his law will become natural to to us as his people we looked at a couple of examples over this uh, over the last couple of weeks we looked at the life of jesus and what that looked like and how again you know jesus said to his disciples if you have seen me you've seen the father i am the, the model of what the father is like i because he lives within me and my life is a demonstration of what he's like and so we looked at the life of Jesus and the, the powerful things that God was able to do through him because his life was surrendered to the lordship of his father. He said things like, the words I speak, they're not my words, they're the father's words. I don't do anything I please. I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I see my father saying. And because of that, Jesus walked with authority. He walked in victory. And he demonstrated what the heart and the love of God looks like to a dying and hurting world. Last week, as it was Mother's Day, we looked at Mary. And we looked at how God's, the angel Gabriel comes to her and he says, you, you're highly favored. God has chosen for you to bear the Messiah. And after that whole conversation, Mary's response was, let it be to me according to your word. Her heart of submission to this journey that she was about to embark on enabled her to usher in the presence of God quite literally into the world. God, through their lives, through, through Jesus, through Mary. And today we're going to look more at the Apostle Paul. 
is these individuals will be able, will able to embody and demonstrate and usher in the presence of God through their hearts and their lives into the world around them. Now, the reason we're looking at these things and we're looking at these examples is because the same principle applies to you and I today. Now, if lordship is something that works from the inside out, in other words, in our new covenant context, if lordship is a matter of the heart, and if it's it's something that that that's not imposed on us, but something that has to be lived out from within the state of our hearts and the receptivity of our hearts becomes the amphitheater, if you like, in which this thing gets worked out, in which this thing gets journeyed out. The state of our hearts becomes a matter of critical importance. If the law has to work from within, the state of what is going on within becomes important because my heart attitude and the state of my heart will determine the degree to which the law of Jesus Christ, the law of God's love will be active in me in the way I think and behave and will also determine the degree to which that can be worked out through my own life. Now I want to, this is where, this is where God tweaked my message this morning. I was intending to talk to you about Paul and how he worked this out. But before I do that, I believe I need to lay this foundation with you. And I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation, verse 11 to 15, because I think it just articulates it so well. But if we're talking about lordship, folks, we are talking about an attitude of heart which embraces the will and the word of God for me and for my life and puts it as a higher priority than any goal or vision or dream or feeling that I may have for and above myself. The attitude or the orientation of my heart in this will determine the degree to which my life will be transformed to resemble Christ's life, life in terms of my attitudes, in terms of how I see those around me, in terms of how I see God, in terms of how I see myself. And my heart attitude will also determine how that how I express that, how I work that out in my life. So Matthew 13, verse 11, he explained, this is Jesus. You've been given the intimate experience of insight into hidden truths and mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they have not. Let's pause here. Jesus has been talking in parables. His disciples are asking him questions about them. And he says, you, you, my disciples, have been given insight into the mysteries of heaven's kingdom, but these other people have not. And then he goes on to say, for everyone who listens with an open heart. Let's pause there. What does he mean by an open heart? An open heart. Today, people would say, you know, you need to be open. You need to be open to new ideas and new things out there and stop being so closed minded. In fact, that's um, that's an allegation that is quite often leveled against us Christians. You're so narrow minded. You know, what about other options? What about other gods? What about other ways? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He is talking to one who listens with a heart that is open to God. In other words, it's an exclusive focus, but it is a heart that comes without preconceived ideas. It is a heart that comes without agendas to hear what it is that God has to say, to hear what is on God's heart and to align my opinions with God's opinions. He says, for everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively 
more revelation until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, in other words, they think they know, even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. The New King James Version says it this way, to him who has, more will be given. But to him that does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Has what? An open heart, willing and ready to submit to the word of God and the Lordship of Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 13, that's why I teach people using parables, because they think they're looking for truth. Yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. Although they will listen to me, they will never perceive the message I speak. The prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand a thing I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. We're talking about spiritual discernment here. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. Their ears are plugged and hard of hearing. They have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes and see, open their ears and hear, and open their minds to understand. Then they would turn to me and I would instantly heal them. So let's just look at that last sentence. Then they would turn to me. What is that? That is the journey of repentance. We've been talking about that since the beginning of the year. And he says, and let me instantly heal them. What is God's desire in your life and my life? Wholeness, healing, not just of our physical bodies, but of our minds, of our souls, of our spirit man, complete transformation to heal us from the lies, the perversions and the deceptions of this world, which are so, so much a part of us because they're a part of our culture. They're a part of the way the world works around us. We're, we're familiar with them. But we are no longer from the kingdoms of this world and the cultures of this world. God has placed his heavenly culture and nature within us, which is the opposite and the antithesis of this world's way of thinking and this world's way of doing things. Now, if we come to God, what this verse is saying, if we come to God with our preconceived ideas of how things work and we try to fit God into them, we're not coming with a teachable heart. And many believers make this mistake. We need to allow God not to just give the direction, but to define the terms, the terms of our life, the terms of purpose, the terms of lordship. That's what it means to make him Lord. As I was doing my homework on this, I found a commentary on this verse, mysteries. There's mysteries, spiritual mysteries, the kingdom of God within us that God wants to make alive and real to us. That word mysteries is a Greek word. Help me here, dad, if I get it wrong. Mysterion. I think it's something like that. No, no, no. Mysterio. Oh, the pronunciation is not important, but clearly it is. You what guys chop up my language and make it so horrible. <laughs> what is the word? Mysterio. Mysterio. Thank you, Dad. Now, this word is found. 27 times in the New Testament and means secrets or mysteries. Listen to this commentary. The mysteries of heaven's kingdom realm are spiritual insights into the nature and the ways of God. Jesus Christ can only be fully understood by the spirit, not by the intellect of man. Jesus taught his disciples using a crypt, the cryptic language of parables 
to move them beyond intellectual abilities and engage the spirit. If the listener had a hungry uh, had a hunger to learn with an open teachable heart, then Jesus' words brought life and understanding. We must always be those who push aside our opinions, our traditions to glean the deepest meaning of all that Jesus did and sought and taught. Folks, I have seen this again and again and again, and I'm not talking about with unbelievers, I'm talking about with believers who are stuck in a way of thinking. And without God, a revelation of God that breaks into their situation, they remain stuck there. And I've seen people stuck in ruts, spiritual ruts, spiritual conditions of poverty, spiritual conditions of, uh, of, 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 of sickness. And I don't mean physical sickness alone. I mean sickness of the soul, ways of thinking that produce not life and peace, but produce conflict. They produce stress. They produce fear and anxiety in their lives. Sometimes it's, it's ways of thinking about God that produce lack. They can't move forward in their faith and they're stuck there for years. Why? Because they, their hearts have not fully embraced the Lordship. They serve God on their own terms and according to their own preconceived ideas. And I believe what God is saying to us in this time and season is that if we want to truly embrace the law within and move into a greater level of seeing Christ's lordship expressed in our hearts and minds. And folks, when I say that, understand what I mean is the fullness of his life, everything that he comes with and brings and ministers to you and me. We're going to need to pay attention to our hearts to make sure that we are not like those who are dull, dull of hearing, unable to perceive. They, we hear the word, we read the Bible, we pray our prayers, but we're still not understanding what it is that God is saying. And our lives remain untransformed. We continue the same way, the same patterns, the same way of thinking, unchanged for weeks, months, and years, locked. God wants to break us free from these things. Now let's move on to the words of Paul and listen to what he says to us. Now, Paul, this is how he ends the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Now, Paul has gone on his missionary journeys. He has come to Jerusalem. They've tried to put him on trial there, but because he's a Roman citizen, he has pleaded to Caesar. They've taken him all the way to Rome. He's now in Rome under house arrest. And there are a number of people that have heard about him. They've heard that the things he says are controversial, and they've come to hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak, what it is, this message that Paul has that he's been talking. Now, Paul, we know he's one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest apostles. He preached People get saved, people get healed, incredible miracles. But let, let's listen and see what happens here in the book of Acts 28, verses 23 to 28, in, while Paul is in Rome. So these people wanted to come. That's the context. So a time was set, in other words, for them to come. And on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses, and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. Listen to what Paul now says. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. 
and they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. Why? Because they will open, they will open their hearts to it. They're not stuck in their way of thinking or in their tradition or in their opinions for their own lives. We see Isaiah saying this in the Old Covenant. We see Jesus affirming it through his own ministry. Folks, let's understand this. Jesus, the Son of God, living in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching the life-giving words of God, could not get through to some people because of their own preconceived ideas. People that he was sent to, the Jewish nation, those who had been prophesied to and had the scriptures, everything pointing them towards Jesus. They couldn't receive him and they couldn't see him because of the state of their hearts. Paul encountered the same problem. And I believe today the Spirit of God has the same thing, the same issue with us, his people, his chosen ones. You know, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out to go and preach the good news, the gospel. The gospel means good news. Good news. God wants to heal you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to make you whole, to give you a life and a future. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you his peace. This is wonderful news. But yet today, many consider the good news to be bad news because they don't understand the message. Or they just consider the news to be plain irrelevant. It's not relevant to our time or our. Why do they think this way? Because their hearts are dull. They are unable to perceive the truth of the message. They're, why are their hearts dull? Because they're intent on doing their own way, going their own way. The message of the world around us today is a message of independence. It's a message of personal lordship. You can be whoever or whatever you want to be. You can have your own dreams and you can pursue them with all your heart. Folks, this is the antithesis of what God says in the Bible, Old and New Covenant, where he says, I will be your God. In other words, Lord in your life. And you will be my people, my blood purchased people, my sons and my daughters. And together with my heart living within yours and leading you and guiding you forward, you will discover a life beyond your wildest dreams. Not your dreams, my dreams, which the book of Ephesians says are far above and beyond anything we can ask or think or even imagine. He invites us into the most awesome adventure that we couldn't even dream of if we are prepared to embrace his lordship. <clears throat> Listen to Paul as he starts writing about this. Now I'm going to read you quite a few excerpts of scripture. Take the references down and go listen to go read them in your own time as you study this week. But I'll read them to you now for the sake of time. Because I want to show you how the apostle Paul again and again and again gives the same message to different people about how he has embraced lordship in his life, counting everything that he thought was valuable in this world as nonsense, so that he could live and experience the fullness of Christ's life. The first reading I want to give to you comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 16 to 17, reading from the Passion Translation, and he says this, Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? Let's pause for a second. Remember, we said the state of this world today is everybody wants to be his own master. Everybody wants to be his own Lord. Everybody wants to decide for himself what is good for me, what is right for me. And Paul says here, the grace of God frees you 
to choose your own master. So you can, you can choose God or you can choose your own way. But he says, but choose carefully. For you surrender yourself to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master and it will reward you with death. What is sin? Sin is to fall short of the mark of the standard of God's life and calling in you and for you. So you choose your own calling to do it your own way. It says the wages of that or the reward for that is death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. And God is pleased with you, for in the past you were servants of sin, but now your obedience is heart deep. And we have that message of the heart again. And your life is being molded by truth through the teaching you are devoted to. You see this heart deep law. It has changed not just your outside and what you say on the outside, but it's changed literally who you are. You are now subject to a different voice. You're not in subjection to your own opinions, which are and, and your own way of doing things, which can be formed by anything and everything that goes on around you. But you're now in subjection to the voice of the Lord. And it has changed not only what you do, but who you are. You're like him now. You think like him now. You behave like him now. You begin to resemble the life and nature of Jesus. In the book of Romans, again, chapter 8, verses 12 to 14, Paul writes, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges, nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, in other words, the presence of God dwelling within you, you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, what does it mean to be a child of God? It means not only pos positional possession. I belong to him. I recognize him as my father. I receive an inheritance through the family. But I begin to resemble him. One of the most beautiful analogies I can think of for this is, many of you may have met my best friend, Walter Thomas. He's the pastor of Autry Baptist Church. After years of trying, him and his wife couldn't have children. And so they eventually went down the route of adoption. They adopted a little girl. Her name is Sadie. And every year she has two special events in her life. The one is her birthday. And the other one, a few months later, which they celebrated on Thursday this week, was her homecoming day. Every year they celebrate the day that she came home. She's heard the story many times. And again and again, they'll say, she'll lie in bed at bedtime. Tell me the story again, mommy, dad, about how you loved me and you came and you, take, you fetched me and you made me your child and you brought me home. It's a beautiful story, but here's the point I want to make. Though that child is not biologically my friend's child, oh my goodness, the resemblance is uncanny. The way she does things, her mannerisms, her attitude are so much like her mom's and her dad's. It is no doubting that she is their child. Why is that? Because who they are has been inculcated into who she is, and she resembles them. Though she's not biologically theirs, she is theirs as much as any child could belong to a parent. And this is the same thing Paul is saying to, you, to us here in verse 14 of Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. We embrace his lordship. We allow him to lead us and guide what we do, why we do it, how we do it. And in so doing, we resemble him. We, 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 we respond from that 
same place of his love. Again, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. We're reading from the message. And he says this, concerning, concerning his life and what he has been through. Now, let me, before I read it, let me say this to you. Paul, when he was a Pharisee, was a highly respected man, highly educated man, position of great status and great power within community and within society, highly respected, very powerful guy. Now listen to what he says in verse 7. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special. I am tearing up and I'm throwing them out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. So he, he cottoned onto something here that was beyond everything the natural world around him thought was important or significant. He says, yes, all these things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my master, not just as my savior, as my master, my Lord, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung, manure, rubbish. He says, all these wonderful things that people celebrate, to me, they're rubbish when compared to a life lived under the lordship of Jesus. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Now, folks, therein, in that one sentence, is one of the greatest secrets for the life of a disciple, for the life of a believer and a follower of Christ. You see, many of us try to lay hold of Christ and try to, uh, you know, understand more and grow in our Christian walk without letting go of the other stuff that grabs our hearts and grabs our attention. In the parable of the sower, it's the hard rocks, it's the weeds that come in and they, they distract us and they, they cause us not to yield. Paul's secret was that he considered the Lordship of Christ so valuable that he was willing to forsake and walk away from everything else, counting it as rubbish in, by comparison. He said, I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. When I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Folks, this is not a heart that is dull, that is insensitive to the leading of God. This is a heart that is alive to God, and it is a heart that is filled with passion for the cause of Christ. Passionate above for the cause of Christ above everything else in his life. Every other pursuit came secondary. Now, can you say the same for your heart today? Are you passionate about the cause and the call of Jesus Christ on your life? Are you passionate? Do you seek after it? Are you hungry for it? That is what it means to have a heart. A heart like that is a heart that will be in tune and will be able to discern the voice of the spirit and God's leading. Or are you still concerned and consumed with the cares and the affairs of this world with your job? with your family situation, with all these things. Now, understand, I'm not saying that these are not important, but the fact is that many of us find our passions, our desires fulfilled and met by the things of this world. And therefore, we never press into the things of the Spirit of God. Our hunger for them dies. You see, you develop an appetite for anything that you feed. The more you feed yourself on something, 
the more your desire for that thing grows. That's a spiritual principle. Many of our hearts are very dull because our passions are pointed and fulfilled at and by the things of this world instead of by the Lord of our hearts, Jesus Christ. One more scripture from Paul. This time he's writing to the Galatians. And he says to them in verse chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 from the message. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman, again, external law, so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. What does he mean by that? My desires, my agendas, my passions, all these things, my education, all these things that I identified myself with as important, I have nailed to the cross with Jesus so that from this point on, he and he alone determines what is a priority and what is important in my life. He goes on to say, my ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. But it is lived by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back in that on that. He says Christ lives in me. What he means when he says that is not just that Christ abides in me, but that the, the person and the presence of God is not just an idea that I know is kind of there with me, but it is alive. I draw life. I draw vitality. I draw sustenance from the presence of God. And the person of Jesus is so alive in me that he's changing the way I think. He's leading and guiding my thoughts. He's guiding my actions and my pursuits. Paul was not dull of heart. But he turned again and again to the voice of the Holy Spirit that was within him. The indwelling presence of the Spirit is the very person of God living within us. And it's the conduit of his law of love and the expression of his lordship. Folks, until we truly embrace and value the lordship of Jesus in our lives, truly embrace it. And truly value what it is that he's trying to do. Remember those first scriptures we read. They hear, they see, but they can't hear. Otherwise, they would let me heal them. Folks, there is so much God wants to do in your life if you would let it. The only thing that is standing in your way, or let me say it this way, the only thing that is standing in his way is the condition of your heart towards the words that he speaks. God wants to bring you healing and fulfillment. There should never be a thing as a depressed believer. There should never be a thing as a defeated believer. God wants to do amazing things in our hearts and in our lives. He wants to revive us so that we can have a revelation of who he is. And so that we, he could lead us. Listen to this. Listen to this. Paul here in praying for Ephesians. This wasn't initially in my notes, but I want to share it with you anyways. In his prayer for the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3. 
Paul writes this, and he's praying for the dullness of their hearts, that they would have a revelation, they would have eyes to stare, would have an encounter with God that would bring them out of their preconceived ideas, out of their perceptions, to embrace the fullness of Jesus Christ and yield to it, that it can bring and minister life to and through them. He prays for them and from verses 14 in chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in earth and in heaven is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. How does this happen? Through the power of the spirit working through the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. This is a spiritual knowledge he's talking about here, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, that is God's will for you, to fill you completely with his fullness. He goes on to say, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Folks, there's a call on the heart of God for more. He wants more for you. And to get that, he needs more from us. More of our hearts open to him. A greater level of intimacy with him that our hearts are not dull that we are able to perceive the voice of god as he speaks to us because we have humbled ourselves and submitted our hearts to say jesus whatever you say i'm going to follow you see those who are dull of heart those who hear but don't hear those who, who see but don't actually see are those who say they want to do these things but in truth their hearts are not yielded their hearts have not come to the place of abandonment and acknowledging the lordship of jesus christ within until we truly embrace and value the lordship of christ in our lives our hearts will remain dull to his mysteries and to the powerful realities that god has made available to us through christ and by the power of his spirit uh, we've looked at paul's life today and his incredible example and folks i want to encourage you in that I hope that my message today has stirred something within you because I want to tell you it stirred something within me. It's too often we are so satisfied with so little of God. We miss out on so much that God wants to do in us and through us. Our experience of the life and the nature of Jesus is ankle deep. God says, I want you to come in. How do we do that, folks? The first step is to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord. You come, you call the shots, not my will, O Lord, but yours be done. Now, if you have that in your heart to pray this morning, I want you to pray that with me. I want to just lead you all in prayer this morning. So let's just bow our heads. Father God, Lord, so often we think we know so much about you. But yet we haven't even scraped the surface of the greatness of your love for us. So often we are overwhelmed by the things we see around us because we have forgotten the greatness of your power and that you created the very world in which we are living. 
Lord, we are often guided by fear, by pride, by our egos, and by our own selfish desires and ambitions. And Lord, in your grace, you let us pursue whatever is in our hearts to pursue. But Father, at the same time, you have so much more for each and every one of us. Lord, I want to thank you for each person listening to this today. You have a wonderful plan pre-prepared for their lives. A plan of grace, of mercy, of power, and of blessing. A plan that includes walking by the power and the spirit of God in the love rhythms and the grace rhythms of who you are. That we get to know you intimately, Father God. To be known by you intimately. That you would lead us and you are able to lead us in the ways of the kingdom of God, which are not according to this world. Father, our heart's desire this morning is that you would lead us in these ways. The ways of your kingdom, the mysterious ways that are beyond our own human comprehension. And Father, in that we desire to be led by your spirit. We desire for our hearts and minds to be open to the things that you have to say to us. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to realign our hearts. We want to say to you, Father, would you come and be Lord in my heart? Where I have, where I have taken the throne of my heart, Lord Jesus, would you come and take the seat? Would you open, me, open my, the ears of my heart, the eyes of my heart, to see and to hear what it is that you are truly saying? Not just on a natural plateau but the true spiritual revelations, Lord God. Help me, Lord, to embrace them. I come to you with an attitude of heart this morning, Lord, that says, whatever you say, I will obey. Whatever you reveal, Lord, I will follow. I want you to be Lord, and I want to be yours completely. So, Lord, by your spirit, I pray you breathe in our hearts. That you would take these intentions and these prayers and that you would breathe on them the life of your spirit even now. That your presence would become very real to each and every one of us, Lord God. Give us, I pray, ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that can truly discern and understand the voice of God as you speak to us by your spirit and breathe your life into us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.